founders and editors of the Twink Revolution magazine, which is going to be rebranded soon. So yeah, that's me. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Uh, this is, I think with this episode, you become the most frequent guest on the show. I think this is your fourth appearance overall. Is it that? I thought it was my third time because I did the China episode well, and then I was like shit Yeah, you faced. did the China episode <laughs> and then we did the... um. We did the year-end review, and you did the finale. Oh, you're right. So I've, this is my fourth appearance. <laughs> yeah, so I think you are the most. And uh, I have brought you back in with Donna today because you expressed that you were interested in Foucault. And the way I learned this was from your Goodreads list. <laughs> 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 and I, uh, as Donna and I were kind of talking in, like, the breaks last section about the general morass of cultural commentary podcasting. I find that Twink Rev is such an essential voice in all of it. I mean, I've felt this way, like, since before I started podcasting even, but, like, I just think that your approach to politics and, I assume, philosophy as well is one that is not just willfully edgy. It's something that has an intelligent comedic and like heartwarming perspective and i feel like to just go with like any of like these kind of like rightist twitter personalities or like these boys these like straight guys who just have so much to say about everything it's like to miss the point of why we're doing foucault today so welcome to the show <laughs> thanks <laughs> yes i love twink revolution as well oh, big fan thank you <laughs> That's so good. I love when people say they like so it. So Sam caught up with, um, he read uh, volume one, uh, The Will to Knowledge, leading up to this. So I'm kind of curious what your reading experience of the first book was like. Um, It was fine. I mean, I think Foucault, like a lot of <laughs> academia, is kind of tedious. And like, it could have been reduced to like a short little booklet. But um. I think he made a lot of really interesting points of and questions that I think in our current state of society with like the whole paranoia around like sexuality and, you know, the pedals are everywhere kind of mentality and things like the medicalization language is just normalized in like LGBT rights is kind of all not talked about. And he kind of touched on a lot of it. I mean, he's not a Marxist, so I, disagreed on like some of the ways he analyzed the world because he kind of reduced it to just power which I don't think is a useful mode but it was interesting I mean I'm glad I read it <laughs> also like what inspired you to like even get interested in Foucault was it like the Twitter pedo discourse like what was it um I had it on my reading list before and I didn't even realize when I agreed I, I think it's my birthday I agreed to like do this and I didn't realize Foucault was being canceled because of like some British guy saying he was like recruiting like Moroccan children for sex um and I was like oh fuck what did I do like because <laughs> we already get like enough shit like a lot of the like haters will see like twink rev like when we had Caleb Malpin on for example and of like twinks that's pedo shit and we're like no it's not like so I'm like fuck I of course, I said yes at a time when he's, like, being mass canceled. Everyone's losing their shit over, like, nothing. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, this is such, like, a beautiful through line because Donna and I were, like, really sort of bemused last episode, like, in the last segment about the pedophilia discourse. And um, we all kind of agree that, like, he's dead. No matter what was true or wasn't, it's, like, he's dead and he said what he said. And, like, now it exists so it's like what are you going to do about it like what's there to be angry at 
Right, he's also French. Like, what do you expect? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, after like world, like the leaders in France and like intellectual class are all like accused of the same shit. So it's like, are we gonna cancel all of them as well? And all of their ideas just kind of silly. Like he's dead. I think being dead's punishment enough. <laughs> Yeah, and like morbid violent death as well yeah aids right yeah he died of uh of hiv aids and i believe he was really uh secretive about it and up until like the very end i think that's right he thought it was like a tool for like controlling people's sexuality so i don't i think he was like a skeptic which i mean at the time i don't fully blame him because the way government well, I mean, everybody it. like kind of doubles back on him now and has like this like furious. It's like, how did you not realize that AIDS was real? And it's like, especially like in the early eighties, it's like, I mean, even though you you could say he was like wrong and like, you know, AIDS isn't directly a means of like a, a government controlling a population or something. It's like the effect is nonetheless the same. And honestly, like he was right to take that stance because as time has moved on, like, AIDS was basically, like, the greatest political driver in forcing, like, gay men into the Teflon lawn, like, no promiscuity, like, cleanliness. So I think he ended up being, like, preeminently right, even though he was wrong. Yeah, I I think he, I don't think that he meant it as, you know, as the disease is fake or something, but I think he was questioning the entire discourses around it and then at that time, all the intellectuals were writing about this, like the HIV mm. and AIDS discourse and how it affects, like how homosexuality is, is viewed, especially, you know, Foucault, Deleuze and all of these people who were writing at that time. So, yeah, I just I don't think he meant that, that it's actually fake. That would be. Yeah, I think yeah, that's Foucault for you. <laughs> he just questions shit. Your only questions. I mean, I yeah. now I kind of want to like just go full like 180 and be like, yeah, AIDS is fake. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I have this urge. I'm like, whatever. It's like uh, AIDS isn't real. It's just a discourse, as is everything in his eyes. <laughs> be careful. You got banned from YouTube for saying it's not real. <laughs> oh God. Oh. <laughs> no way around it so sam did you end up kind of agreeing with the takeaway of the will to knowledge that Foucault kind of suggests that sexuality was like never truly repressed but only transformed into a a sort of discourse of repression instead yeah i think that part i agree with um yeah i i i agree to follow that part where uh he made a really good sound argument in basically arguing like repression has always existed around sexuality or sex, but like, and se- sex activities. Cause I don't want to say sexuality because that didn't emerge until later. Hence the book history of sexuality. Like, <laughs> mm. um, like, yeah, that, that, that all made sense to me. I mean, I don't, I don't really have any like strong disagreements that I can like state. <laughs> Well, no, I, I think that's, like, the, the major setup of the book, and it's, uh, uh, to me, like, I love philosophy for, like, uh, using it to frame my own life and everything, but I found that the first volume of History of Sexuality was so fascinating because it is, like, this artistic narrative and the last, like, 20-page plot twist and the way it completely, like, turns all of, like, the really nebulous sort of discussion of like no sex at all but only sexuality i i thought to be really like a poignant in an artistic sense so um did you like have any feelings about like the sort of like artistic or narrative experience of it uh, i i don't know i feel like i'm not a huge philosophy person so the way mm. a lot of it was structured i kind of get it kind of reminded me of like Palia a little bit of the little bit I've read of her I mean and it's kind of where there's a lot of statements of stuff that makes all sense and it matters why it's included but like I'm a man of few words I like to just go straight to the jugular and just like <laughs> say it like just be like 
I just because I read some of other stuff. I met read some of like more like policy based stuff, and that to me I liked more than the political philosophical theory where I feel like it felt like I was reading a term paper, but like forever. <laughs> but it was very, <laughs> which is funny because the the first volume was only 150 pages. Oh yeah, the this second one I was like, yeah, it, was, it was actually much more readable. But I was like, in the beginning, I was like, oh fucking damn it! Like, why did I agree to? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I actually like uh, Zach asked me yesterday if I finished the book you asked me on I think Wednesday and I, I said yes but what I did actually was binge read the entire thing yesterday wow oh I love it <laughs> well I am um, I kept I watched like trying to schedule it oh that's amazing i kept trying to like schedule it out for myself i was like okay i'm gonna read this many pages every day and then it got to yesterday for volume two i was like okay i have to read 110 pages today no big deal oh yeah and it worked out just fine (laughs) i I love it honestly and i love the first book because like the way he lays out his approach to whatever he's doing and he says okay this book is titled history of sexuality but this is not a history like it's not a historian book. This is an approach to how to understand how we came to know sexuality as it is now, and like to understand the the, the relationship of the subject to sexuality and desire. And then, like in the second book, he's like, "Okay, I'm going to do something else here. I'm going back to an- antiquity, and like uh, also it's it's a very ph- philosophical book, and you know it shows the the relationship of the desiring subject to oneself in antiquity, in that particular context, and how they viewed sexuality in different terms. There was like no heterosexual or homosexual in the, in the sense that we understand it now. And I find that so fascinating. Absolutely. The way he did no, it. I completely so agree. And like, I think that's such a great introduction to the work of what this book does. And we're gathered here like I think like two months after we recorded the first segment and now we have the addition of Sam and I'm always just surprised by my little strokes of genius <laughs> because I feel like uh, that much of a gap in between the first volume and then like the addition of a new speaker in the void that we're all speaking in right now is like actually very fitting for like the destructive quality of the structure of this book because when you're reading like that introduction at the beginning, it feels like a complete reset on the theory that was like established in the first one. Like we have like that understanding of what Foucault describes as sexuality now, but now it's like just sort of um, like a target or some sort of like term that's involved. But like, this is a, a completely new direction I found. I think also what's really interesting is like knowing Foucault does play such a huge role in like the queer theory and even like some feminist circles, but the way like these circles have just like fully degenerated into like, like pretending to take on the Foucaultian ideas and actually just like do oh, the yeah. complete opposite. Like this idea of like, I I always like to point out like the born this way and Foucault kind of challenges that he kind of points out like oh yes. our entire understanding of sex and sexuality um is not as you seems it's actually manifested through the world we live in and our relations to each other and power systems and it's like no one's actually challenging or questioning like is this like actually true is this actually what is reality or are we just believing it because the power systems in play tell us this is how we should view our identity and sexuality Yes. Beautiful. <laughs> like, like anyone who would write a book about right now, you would like in queer studies departments, they would go to a point in history and then they were like queering the blah, blah, blah. And then they would just apply the same mattresses and the same representations and the ideas that we have now to that time without even going deeper into how these people completely had a different understanding of self and the other and all of the relations they have with each other. And this is incredible in this book. No, it's breathtaking. And it's just stunning how invasive that sort of like queer theory mindset goes. And I don't even like 
hate like the practice of queer theory or like queering stuff even though it is like largely like pretty dumb like <laughs> i i think it is so brazen and thrilling when foucault like approaches like hundreds of years of like greek philosophy here and does it on its own terms without applying so much as like one filmic layer of the contemporary condition to it and that urge to make everything like queer in like the post stonewall way is so awful and pervasive that you can't even talk about the first half of the 20th century without having to view it in the context that we've constructed like homosexuality and queerness as now well also like the entire like gay media perpetuate this idea of like like the greeks were gay and the chinese had gay people and it's like none of these there's no gay people until like mm. almost like less than 200 years ago like this entire idea is manifested through like medical lingo from like a bunch of like left-wing german people like it's just like it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous like uh, and like people get upset or like say oh there was no like any of these like there's no trans people until a couple of hundred years ago and they're like oh well there were people that broke the gender stereotypes and had sex of the same gender and i'm like that doesn't make them these identities identities more than just like actions it's um it's a broad mass cultural sense of like self and i don't know like it's just very stupid <laughs> yeah i'm um i'm thinking about now the approach of this book, which is that it sort of reckons with a lot of the Greek theory from, like, everything to, what, like, Plato, Aristotle, lots of them, all people who I've read about maybe four words from in total in my <laughs> entire career. Um, and it's a kind of, like, a close expl- like explication of a lot of their writing and it's you know we're obviously attracted to the homosexual element as a uh, woman and two little faggots here today <laughs> but i mean the revolutionary kind of thing that foucault does is that it's not like only that one angle but he manages to sort of like summarize the entire idea of how people conceived self like through like their marriage like through their routines like the way that the discourse of sexuality sort of exists from like those everyday actions and i i find that it's a really beautiful way of considering reality in the same way that john and i mentioned in the first segment um how foucault like describes like schools as like these um literal like erections like these like spaces of like sex confusion that are like physically made out of you know desire and I love the way that he takes, um, like, the descriptions of schedules and everyday routine and, like, diet and, like, the almanac and seasons and shows it in a way where it's, like, that endless, like, perverse sexuality that's, like, constantly in the human experience. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, like, uh, how their regimens and... uh how you know like uh, as you said it's what he says what is very i like this term that he uses art of existence and aesthetics stylization i love this like he's like he doesn't say that uh they are uh, producing a sexuality but a stylization of life and i love Mm. this and they 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 like when you are desiring you're always questioning your desire and you're always moderating it and thinking about excess and thinking about uh, what does it mean to be uh, an object of pleasure uh, in the case of the boys and what does it mean to be passive and active and all of these different things. Um, it's, it's really useful to think of sexuality like that, but I understand that he makes, of course, a stark uh, comparison between how sexuality was conceived later under Christianity and you know what we know right now where the powers laid down the laws of how people should act but back then it was like an art of existence there was no clear rules uh, of how to behave Uh, it was not like a law that you have to abide to yet uh, there were so many factors to play in such as status 
um, such as uh, where do you want to reach when you are older, like age, age gaps, everything was uh, under consideration, but it was not like a law that you should abide to, which is, yes. which is interesting. That's, yeah, It's fascinating. And um, one of the best like kind of explications he makes here is like, in one of the earlier portions of the book, he describes like kind of like this like sadomasochistic relationship with the self that it's like two forces inside of you and one has to dominate the other in order to um, enact stuff like moderation or like refraining from desire. And it's difficult to for me to put it into brief words because Foucault does, you know, dozens of pages just like getting into the exact mechanics of that but the notion that there's like two forces in you and one is you know having to dominate the other is really instantly compelling to me (laughs) also the way he kind of describes greek society and how it kind of differs from christian society which i mean i assume is like similar more similar to ours just kind of gave a sense of like I don't know, it was kind of like relaxing to kind of read about a society where there's this broad openness, but also a regimen. There's this idea of like moderation where you can have things, but it's not in excess. And I feel like in the way it's described, there's functions that are known by all, and also you still have a sense of freedom. Um, and he also mentions how you're not, you're free because you're not subservient to carnal lust and like excesses and i feel like that's something that we don't really think of as freedom because liberal freedom right now just means mass excesses of whatever you want and it's totally acceptable versus like in a society it's more like oh you can have it but we need to like have moderation we need to have self-control we can't just be fully taken on by like the things that will destroy us where we're all like eating whatever we want and just fucking everyone it's like look how that looks now it's like it's 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 kind of degenerate in a sense and i don't mean that in like a bad way but it's like it doesn't seem to be making anyone happier or better off so like maybe we should reevaluate <laughs> yeah mm. yeah he talks about that in the in the, in the first book as well like mm-hmm. the idea because back then like when he wrote the book everyone was uh, making sexual liber- liberation a leftist goal and if you are all sexually liber- liberated somehow you can topple the bourgeoisie or whatever I, don't, I would like to hear what <laughs> Sam would think about that but I think it's it, it, it's interesting because freedom in, in antiquity was more about how you can moderate yourself because if you uh, let loose and you let your desires control you you become like a slave to your desires um, so yeah, it's like a d- completely different uh, approach to freedom. Yeah, and like that approach, um, I I just found this lovely quote. It's like the art of cultivating yourself that way. It's like he writes, you um, to recognize himself in his singularity as a desiring subject and to purify himself of that desire. That was thus brought to light. It's like. By kind of engaging like in this moderation, like in learning how to govern and like dominate and submit to your own character, is like you can create like this um, artistry to your existence, and that's something I'm I'm so infatuated with. Like between like Mishima and this, it's like turning your very essence and like livelihood into its own piece of art. Um, but no, I, I want to hear what Sam thinks about uh, sexual liberation as a means to. <laughs> topple capitalism <laughs> <laughs> well i i don't i think it's bullshit I, I don't think that'll ever work i mean i think sexual liberation in a sense of like true freedom is the aftermath of the end of class i mean for example like you can't really have sexual liberation until you have like women having full equality or Um, Even the breakdowns of, like, these identity groups within sexuality, like gay and straight and stuff. I mean, I don't think that's really possible in a system where there's so many inequalities caused by class. I mean, even, like, the age gap thing. I mean, I'm talking about, like, adults. Like, you have this problem of, like, differences in wealth and power, and that's all a result of class. And I feel like 
that's not it's always going to have issues until you have that the level playing field which can't happen until you have class over fro or working class or fro the the bourgeoisie so i mean i don't think sexual liberation is going to free us from capitalism <laughs> like i mean i'm a marxist like of course i'm going to say that but <laughs> um it's an interesting idea i mean if it was true i feel like we'd be near the near it but like i don't think we are <laughs> <laughs> you i feel like right now like the sexual liberation question especially for gay men is in such like a disastrous state and Every day, there's, like, tension on my dumb Twitter timeline between, like, monogamy and, like, moral purity and, like, gay cleanliness and, like, you know, absolute rot and filth, which I'm much more aligned with personally. But when I was in the back of the book here reading about, like, the the subject and the object of desire, like, the, the boy in these, like, male relationships, I felt like this, like, melancholic yearning almost like i was like this seems like something more like feasible than the kind of like disastrous setup to gay living that like uh 90s the gay activism kind of set up for us yeah i mean I am think i gonna get canceled for that no i think you're correct i think there's i'm gonna do the greek mindset i think there's moderation i think we can have um the acceptance and shit, but also, like, not have to, like, shit on all the grunge and, like, transgressive nature of sex and sexuality. Like, it's become, I think, in both sides, just completely, like, ripped from its, like, exciting, like, you know, like, the, the thing that makes sex exciting has kind of been devoided in both circles, where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. let's have everyone just be, like, s- sexual pup play in the streets, and it's like, that's not sexy. Like, like you need, you need some, you need some like dirt and stuff. You need some, you need some mystery, some secrets. And like, I think he mentioned in the Greek culture, like there's like kind of like an unspoken thing of like, you can do it. Just like, don't really bring it up when it's like not necessary. And now everything's out in the open. It's like, we should go, we should go back to that. Like, let's keep things a little like under the underground. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I love all the cute little rules. It's like until they're twenty eight, or like until they start growing a beard. It's like <laughs> 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 truly twink revolution. Yeah. <laughs> I also love. No, it's. He, uh, okay, uh, I was gonna say I love how he like remarks of like the soft man as like so basically all the ones having sex though are still like it's more sexy to be kind of like the Bronze Age perfect style of guy. Because he's like, oh, we don't want the perfumes and, like, the one who can't do physical labor. And I was like, fuck, he really called out, like, me and G.I. <laughs> I actually, reading Foucault, I started working out again. So, like, maybe, maybe Wait, he's right. Wait, I did too, actually. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Because I was like, God, I'm such a, like, lazy piece of shit. Maybe I should actually go start working out. And I started working out. So No, yeah, I, I read that first section where it's, like, um learning how to, I mean... It sounds kind of bappy, doesn't it? But, I mean, I really did feel, like, motivated. And I've been on, like, 5K runs every day since I've been, like, started reading the book. Yes, I was thinking about that when I was uh, reading the book uh, that you've been running recently. Honestly. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it happens every May, but, like, the timing was, like, so right this time. So when right. I was, like, time to restart my exercise cycle. And uh, Daddy Foucault really inspired. <laughs> uh, yeah. I also like the enigmatic layer that they add to desire and love because he says that like you have to moderate yourself to the point where you would go in exile just to avoid the beauty of your lover. I love that. I know. <laughs> like it's so it's so intense. Yeah, he paints There's a really good quote from it. Yeah, I was gonna say he paints the whole kind of like this moderation and this kind of like this idea of like desire in Greek society is like extremely like artistic and beautiful like it doesn't make yeah. it sound like oh like I think to us like oh moderating like not just eat doing whatever you want is like horrible and like awful but here it's like no there's a beauty to it because it leads to like this ideal beauty of the self and the body which like he discusses separately but also like intertwined and it's like 
I don't know. It was very, it was very like nice three dad. I think they got a lot about it, that. It was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Overall, I was just really in love with how this book turns like moderation and a lot of like difficult like, hardships of the human experience, like into this like artful way to live. And especially towards like the very end, like in the brilliantly titled true love portion, which my jaw dropped when I opened the page and it just said true mm. love. <laughs> it was like, a, I just was so obsessed with like opening the page and seeing that so bold in a book of philosophy. And um, I mean, I have constant hangups about desire. Like, I mean, basically every man I've loved with the exception of my boyfriend has like a, rejected me or been like inaccessible um and Foucault turning that into this artistic means to an end of like the severity of experience and like the really like creative way that those emotions manifest in you it's like it's such a beautiful way of thinking all of the films and the volumes of history of sexuality on a gut impulse and whim and I'm just elated to find out how right I am about everything. Um, we're talking about guilty of romance or in Japanese koi no tsumi which means the sin of love and this is a 2011 feature once again by Sono Shion and it's I, I'll just say what it's about it's about three women one is the wife of a novelist uh, one is a lecturer who sort of, what do they call it, moonlights as a prostitute, and the final of them is a detective. And the story is about how these intense desires for subjugation lead them into a spiral of misery and destruction. So I'm curious what both of you kind of thought about this like gutturally on your first viewing here. Sam, you want to go on or me? You first? can go first. <laughs> 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 well, um, yeah, first of all, uh, yeah, uh, when I started watching it, I was amazed by the uh, first scene, uh, which was pretty shocking. But I was like, yes, this is something that I would love. <laughs> because it was basically uh, like this detective, she found the body of a mannequin stitched to a human corpse and uh, then like yeah we see the scenes of I don't want to because I don't I know you don't like this way of uh, breaking scenes I don't I don't do it either but uh, <laughs> I think the the part where we see the wife of the novelist where she is like very very obedient following you know da daily routines and just being this passive uh, person taking care of the household just immediately ringed back to what I read and the use of pleasure mm. and uh, uh, the entire film just uh, you know like how she was she went she, she, she wanted to change her role as a housewife to become a worker and be part of something and she started working at this uh, supermarket selling uh, like sausages people, yeah, yeah sausages to people and then like somehow deliriously got driven into be uh, doing uh, uh, porn and then uh, becoming a prostitute like that whole transformation and how it made her like more radiant and more desirable like she it made her desire her husband more i just found that like really fascinating yeah and, absolutely um, the film is very very beautiful poetic and it's like uh, it's like operatic, uh, theatrical in a sense too, and it just shows how, which also can be related to the book, when when we give in to the excesses of the feminine, the woman, the this desire of destruction, like what what would happen then, and 
it's it's incredible. I loved it. I loved every second of it. It made me cry at some points. It was very poetic. Me too. Especially like the way Mitsuko, the the literature literature professor, spoke to uh, the other woman, uh, who's the housewife of the, the the sorry the wife of the novelist. The way she spoke to her, like there's this line where she says, "In your tears, I stand still." And oh my god, like this was so beautiful. Oh Absolutely poetry. Yeah. I completely agree. <laughs> Sam, what yeah. did you think? I thought it was really good. I was really like not sure what I was getting into because I was like, I'm so relieved. I was like, how are you going to pair a movie with like Foucault's like book talking about like Greece when like it's not even in the same region? And I was like, I guess in like the first like 20 minutes and I was like, oh, now I get why Zach like chose this movie. Like because it's already kind (laughs) of like when it enters in the scene, there's just this perfectly regimented, moderate, like husband who goes out to work and do his duties and no wife who's there to take care of the home which um Foucault talks about in like the economic section of his book and really just the role of the wife and the husband's role to make sure she has the skills to take care of him I was like oh and then it kind of really went like through a lot of loops that I wasn't expecting (laughs) and like kind of like um (laughs) um you were saying before about like this like excesses it really just kind of like there was it was basically what happens if the access never gets moderated and it just like led to this crazy ass murder (laughs) oh yeah Um, because i mean like the the tone of the movie is absolutely horrific like at at first there's like kind of this um like glamour and appeal and i find that's kind of like when the characters are in moderation and like they're um, practicing, like, the domination of the self and they're, like, keeping their, like, lives somewhat in order. But by, like, the hour mark and it just begins to spiral into these really, like, bleak sexual excesses, it is extremely difficult to watch. And I watched this with a group of, like, seven people for, like, my weekly movie night. And um, one of my friends was so offended and hated the movie so much that she stopped coming to our movie nights, like in protest. (laughs) (laughs) She was so upset about the, the sort of like hotel, like um, rape esque moment Mm -hmm. that um, Mm. she was like, I'm tired of watching women be subjugated. I can't watch these movies anymore. Seriously, (laughs) The woman, the woman raped the men in the film. Absolutely. Many times, many times. I, I think yeah. it's just kind of like um, <laughs> it's a token of how people look at sex movies now and like yeah. how they look at sexuality in films where it's like they have to have a very like cut and dry like r- sort of description of the aggressor and the subjugated yeah. you know actor in them so that they can make a, an easy moral claim. And, you know, I mentioned that rape scene in The Love Hotel because – how much you want to describe it as rape is, I think, very subjective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that just the whole movie's like tone about sexuality is is so beautiful and, and perfect. Um, well, the boundaries... What, what scenes kind of stuck out to you both? Listen, I was going to say the boundaries also like really are a lot of gray area. Like with like some of the sex scenes, you're like, oh, well... Like, oh, she's a prostitute and she seems to really want to be into this. But then she's also like really getting like brutally like mistreated and crying at certain scenes. So it's like, does she want it? Is she not like it's just like really like you don't know how to like take an easy like fixed stance on all of it because it doesn't fall easily into this like categorization that so much of like sex discourse currently mm-hmm. falls yeah, into the sex like positive. Yeah. Um, that's a really good way of putting it. Um, like the whole movie is like about like the, those boundaries basically. And I constantly like felt myself like switching between like where my, where my identification was landing. And I really feel like Izumi, like the housewife, like after she finally starts like, uh, entering that economic role and she starts working and she starts doing the, 
um, like the girly mag shoots and she's looking at herself in the mirror completely naked just like oh, radiant yeah. and like Same. screaming Irashaimase! like she's I just like so <laughs> I love that scene I love that scene so much like take it it's delicious and she's naked it's as if like she's talking about her own body you know like and then it gave her like more confidence to sell whatever she's trying to sell using sexuality which is yes. very interesting and uh, the whole the whole film is just showing that you know like right now if we talk about sex work a lot of people are like okay we are pro sex work but then we neglect the whole part about pain that involved that is involved in uh, sex work pain mm-hmm. psychological pain and physical pain and existential pain the desire for death the desire for destruction and mm. inflicting pain up- upon others like your husband or something and uh, the the pain itself of this rupture between being part of the social economy of a being a housewife, which is, um, and then becoming uh, a prostitute, which is a, dif- a completely different economy, and uh, you know the whole idea of fidelity as well, um, and the fact that she went all the way, went through all of this stuff, becoming first like doing like porn and then becoming a prostitute, meeting that woman, just to at the end of it, meet her husband at a brothel. Mm-hmm. And she, she really desired her husband from the start, but she couldn't connect to him ever. Like she could not have him. And the only moment when she could have him was at that very end when he circled back into the brothel, into that circulation of economy of, of sex and I find that very fascinating like I haven't mm. seen that in any film before <laughs> Sam what do you think I think also like the way they framed the sex work primarily from like Mitsuko is it Mitsuko or Mitsuko 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 okay um, really saying like if you don't love a man money is the way you get value from having sex and it's like but she's basically they kind of like show the scenes where men will come up to her because she's beautiful and confident and once she they say that they no longer want her and she's like well i guess not all men want to pay for it um and it kind of gets brushed over but it's like oh maybe this messaging really skimmed over the fact that people aspire for more than just that connection because long term like you want the relationship you want the romance like um what she had for her husband and he didn't have for her clearly because he didn't really do anything of her <laughs> like it may be no, it's funny like we haven't even mentioned like what their relationship is like because it's like pretty abject in like the the first 45 minutes where he has like this really like tight reign over her daily existence and like um he gets like pissed off because she doesn't buy like the right French soap. And um, Mm. like, then he like exposes his like dick to her for the first time in like however many months. And uh, there's like this really uh, sort of like upsetting, like BDSM element to them that is, it's like not like fetishistic at all. It's like a more like sort of like their, their roles together. Yeah. I hated him. He was so annoying. Like, like she was like, she was also like, like for one, she's wearing these like horrible doll outfits where she like covered up and looks like a fucking like twelve year old girl, but like not even like a sex like like sexy. Like she looks like like a grandmother who and when she's like probably and like turns thirty. I'm like, but she's like in her in her prime scenes when she's kind of like in that moderation period. She looks like very beautiful. She's wearing like. I think I referenced it to like when I was watching it with partially with Gian, who was like, oh, she looks like one of those like Italian women wearing like the beautiful dresses and the high heels and like flying mm. with a gap, but like in a way that's really tasteful and like not like, like it's not like slutty. Can I say that? Is that bad? <laughs> but, like, yeah, it's, sure. Like, it's like, it's knowing you got the goods, but also like in a way that's like tasteful and like refined. And she's kind of like, you know, I've seen talking about like when she's kind of being like talked to some men for a few times before she literally gets into prostitution. Mm. I love her slutty part, to be honest. Yeah, that's good too. <laughs> <laughs> and I love when Mitsuko also 
or I don't know how to pronounce her name the oh, literature fine. the literature professor when she goes on and puts the her makeup on and comes back and she looks like so fierce and so she, yeah so she she looks like a drag queen completely yes yes even when she's naked actually yeah I, and yeah. she I, I feel like Sono Shion, the director, has just such a, a fucking amazing eye for casting yes. because all three of these women, like, none of them are major actresses. And I believe the woman who plays Mitsuko was actually only, like, in some, like, extra roles. She had initially, like, gotten into the film industry through, like, hair and makeup. And she had done some, um, it's called, like, gravure. It's, like, this uh, type of... Uh, soft core like magazines that they shoot here it's a kind of like in the first segment when she's like rolling around in the bed with clothes on she had done Mm. that and then the decision to cast her is amazing like she's so Mm. good yeah she really embraced like the the the, the crazy energy like basically borderline like unstable but like in a way it's also like she can switch to characters like it kind of felt like she was two different people um which i think is like an acting craft that most people can't even do when you're like an expert. And she's like this like professor who's like saying this beautiful poem and like, you know, very like refined. And then she's like, comes out and it's like kind of like dry gas performance and it's like fucking bat shit crazy. But like in the most like (laughs) kind of like amazing way, but also like in a slightly tragic aspect when you see like her mom, how she talks about her and her dad and like, I mean, can I say? Can I spoil the end? Am I allowed to spoil? Oh, of anything? course. We. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe like, in spoilers here, so just okay, say whatever cool. you want. <laughs> but like the mom's like, I can't wait for her to die, and like literally plays a role in like her daughter being the dismembered body who's like connected to the like um, what are they called? Mannequins. So I'm like, mm. and like the mom little like stabs herself in the neck. I'm like, well, like what was the point if you're trying to refine the family? Like, don't kill yourself. Like. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was really yeah, I love, yeah, I, like even though uh it's i think that her character as a literature professor is part of the whole thing and like the the, po- the poetry and the literature part uh plays a lot of uh, like in her character and the characters in the film and it's not just like a layer that is uh, separate or like she's living a double life uh, on the contrary i just think that it's part of her uh, like this this poetic existence and the reference to Kafka's castle as well and the way she draws her life and the way she thinks about words and bodies like there's this scene when she talks about how the words some words are like flesh and when she recites poems they're also part of this flesh and part of all of the experiences that she goes through and actually uh, you're, you're, you're referring yeah. to the the bench scene right yes yes that was the scene that made me cry yes yes me too <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> because she really like a, i don't know she like manifests all existence in like this terror that all human beings have it's like we're never real like you're only the perception that exists in other people's minds like you're merely like the words and their like amorphous like nebulous meaning and the effort to give them flesh and like make yourself real is so admirable and heartbreaking and true. Um, there's this uh, essay by Leotard that I remembered while I was watching the film. Uh, it's in a, it's in this amazing collection of essays in by Samuel Text E called Polysexuality, and this book everyone should read it. It's insane. Uh, and there's a there's an essay called Use Me, and it's about this uh, very famous uh, clinical case. Uh, sh- his name is Schreiber, uh, sh- uh, who was a schizophrenic. And in 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 one of his like memoirs, he talks about he, how he wants to become a prostitute, and he wants to become the prostitute of God. And uh, in a sense, like I don't know, he wants God to pimp him and become a woman a woman prostitute and reach death in that sense. I don't know. It's just like this essay just shows that you need to look at prostitution, the, 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 the like how bodies go through the, the economy of sex in order to understand what does it mean to be a woman and a man and how you can just uh, 
move between these two boundaries of being a woman and a man. And it's really incredible. <laughs> I have to read that. What's it called again? <laughs> Polysexuality? It's called, uh, the essay is called Use Me. Use Me mm. by Leotard. And he talks about this word like use me. What does it mean? He says that it, it gives you power because you you ask for someone to like use you. It gives you like domination or something. Uh, it's, I don't know. This essay is really amazing. Love it. Yeah. I feel like another I'm, thing that... Oh, sorry. Go, go ahead, ahead, Sam. I was just saying another thing that kind of like rang with me like watching the movie is kind of like the parallels is like a gay person and like the wife because I feel like at least for me like like I didn't do anything until I was 18 and like suddenly released into the world you get a little bit of freedom and you have like your whole phase like you kind of like just do everything and like at least for me I feel like once you hit the limits you're like oh oh you just cut out Sam oh that's no good hear us (laughs) one sec I wonder why that happened um, it's probably going to give us a little message and yeah, uh, I think okay, he, 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 can, he can, he can, he'll just jump back again. in. Okay. See, so, um, honestly, I want to be in this. I feel, I don't know why I relate so much to these movies. I don't know it's either. Not, um, like, I, <laughs> like I don't kind know of, at all. Even the, the detective with her, uh, lover, like I always get into these kind of relationships without even meaning to. <laughs> Where I just don't no, know. I, I, where, yeah, I feel like an object of desire, but I do it willfully and I want to experience it in a sense, but not in the BDSM way. I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's like these movies, exactly. No, I, I feel exactly the same way. And, um, you know, my initial kind of reaction was like, oh, like I feel like I'm easing me like, the most because I have like this really destructive desire to like go put myself out and like become an object of pleasure but it's like um Foucault right like I I bookmarked this specifically because I was thinking about it when I read the line but he's like but to be an object of pleasure and to acknowledge oneself as such constituted a major difficulty for the boy it's Mm -hmm. like it's you can't just like be this like you know pleasurable item with no um you know with, with no consequences or no pain and I don't know. I I I wanted then you know be like Mitsuko, and I want to like. That's how I feel like when I'm in drag and like running around like in you know Sakai and Nagoya, and it's like raining and like two a.m. and oh, I'm yeah. you know being carried around by like four guys and three drag queens, just like nonsense and and bullshit happening. But then at the end of the day, we're all just like the detective lady. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I love Sam that you brought up the rain, the rain element in the movie. Because that's such a really big part beautiful. of this movie, too, is all the, the fucking rain. Yes. Oh, Sam said it's a Wi-Fi disconnected, but he'll pop back in. Hello? Yeah, I can't say... Oh, I think he's back. Okay, I'm back. Okay, welcome back. We were just talking about how... Uh, so, sorry to cut off what I'm sure was a genius thought, but we were just <laughs> mentioning... Um, how we kind of relate to like all three of the women and you were, you were about to tell us about how like um, gay men are like kind of like the housewife Izumi. Yeah. Um, do you want me to keep going or <laughs> yeah, go for it, girl. Sorry. My wifi literally drafts. So I'm using a hotspot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I feel like a lot of gays you see kind of crash and burn because they've been like, just kind of kept at home, like inner person where like they don't get to have, any expression where I think most straight people have this kind of moderation because they can do it whenever. But like when the gay, like from so many gays, I know just kind of get out in that scene and then really just fall into the top of like the excess and then they crash and burn. And it kind of happened to the main character Izumi. And like, I, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of like, I felt for her. Cause I was like, I get how you feel. Cause like, I think a lot of people I know and including myself, I'm like, Oh, shit like let's find it back like <laughs> let's get some moderation in <laughs> no i feel exactly the same way we were just like saying the exact same thing um i don't know it's like the thing that always takes my breath away with this director is that in anti-porno as well which is what we discussed in the first segment it's like 
every movie he makes recently, it's like, it's very difficult to get like a happy ending out of it. You know, like there's no, he doesn't show you a way into the moderation. Like he shows you like the pain of it. And then it ends like in complete destitution and tragedy. And like that kind of like bleakness lingers and like creates a physical effect in you. Like after you watch that, like merely being satisfied by something doesn't do. And like being so upset and appalled and, like, heartbroken for, like, these characters that you truly empathize and and feel like, that changes you more than just, you know, pleasure. I don't know. I just love being offended and having my feelings hurt. (laughs) It's also being real. I mean, like, she's a prostitute in the end, and that's not a glamorous life. Like, she gets brought in through the glamour of, like, the porn part, but it really just like for so many in the industry that is the reality and i think it's kind of it was nice to see someone just be brutally honest about it in the same way like the film um body without soft like it's like the check like prostitute boys documentary mm. and there's a movie about it as well um but it's like just not bullshitting like oh this is it's rough like it's not a glamorous thing where I think now we've seen this course of being glamorized, um, but it's, it's not the reality for most people. Like she was this perfect housewife, and once she lost her su- supportability of the husband and income and went to the trade, she kind of got trapped in it and is now just a victim of the industry. Yeah, and that last scene is just so visually disgusting. It's like, what, like, she pees in front of the school children first, and then, like, she is, like, standing by, like, a bunch of, like, snacku bars, and is, like, um, surrounded with foreigners, which is, like, kind of, like, an amusing moment. And (laughs) then when she's, like, having sex and, like, talking to that guy, it's, like, the look on her face is drained of all of the satisfaction that she had before. She doesn't even look like the same character. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially after uh, Mitsuko was killed. Mm. And she lost her husband. So, like, for her, it mattered a lot that her husband was in her life. It made sense uh, that she would do this, these things behind his back and then come back to him and want him at the same time. But then when she lost all of that, yeah, she just... Yeah, it destroyed her. And I like that. Like, these layers of uh showing that okay she's not just a prostitute like a prostitute who's a victim but also she's taking part of something with an agency but at the same time yes it it does destroy her because this is the reality of it like this is the part where even though this film is so poetic and surreal surreal in a sense it's very materialist at the same time Mm -hmm. um this is uh yeah it's an economy and this is the reality of it I know that is the reality of it exactly and it's like um you can tell she really loves her husband like she is so destroyed when she encounters him in her prostitution career and Foucault kind of mentions like in his discussion of like the marriage roles and how the Grecian mindset was kind of that you can you know engage in like these excesses so long as you know the moderation exists and you kind of feel like if it hadn't exploded and like the truth of it hadn't been exposed to them they could have like gone on living that way but even then you know the role of the the wife and the role of like that kind of individual is also doomed to failure in the last scene of the movie yeah yeah because there's the allegory of the housewife who is chasing after a truck into like infinity trying to get the garbage out to them and, and like running the garbage, into the yeah go the, ahead the, the part yeah the part about the garbage is very important because uh i think it's like a running joke throughout the the film or anecdote that uh, housewives would pretend that they are going out to uh, you know take out the garbage but they're seeing their lovers or like they're yeah like they're having these affairs and uh whenever she wants to see her lover who's like her master, uh, she's like, okay, I'm going to take out the garbage, and she goes to see him. So, yeah, 
it's interesting that you know it just shows like unfulfillment of desire for these women and how mm. they try to fulfill it and garbage is part of it <laughs> I love it <laughs> <laughs>